It's Morning Edition from NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. We're getting into this week's top headlines for a while. We're a month out from Election Day, and with the state primary behind us, how are the top races across the state shaping up? Voters are looking to get attendance records for state lawmakers ahead of the election, and executive counselors voted for a second time to halt funding for an after-school sexual health program. Joining us now to talk about those stories and more are NHPR's Josh Rogers and New Hampshire Bulletin's Anne-Marie Timmons. Good morning, Good morning, Rick. Good Good morning. morning. Thank you guys for coming in early this morning. No problem. Let's start out with the gubernatorial race. Tom Sherman is the third Democratic nominee in a row who served in the state Senate to try and take on Governor Chris Sununu. Now, the primary wasn't a a competitive one for these candidates, so they've been campaigning for the general for quite some time. So, Josh, where where are we? What are we hearing from from Tom Sherman and, and Sununu now on the campaign trail? Well, I guess we'll start with Tom Sherman. And, uh, you know, he obviously, you know, it's worth noting he faces the far stiffer test, uh, which is really getting voters in New Hampshire to reject uh, Governor Sununu, who history would indicate, uh, you know, the electorate is fairly comfortable with. Sununu's won election three times now uh, with growing margins in each election. Um, you know, Sherman's message essentially is that uh, Chris Sununu is, is broken trust with New Hampshire. And, you know, he cites abortion as Exhibit A and the 24-week limit that was imposed with the with the current state budget um, with no exceptions for rape and incest. That's really the main thrust from Sherman, who is a doctor and who, who dons a lab coat at his newest campaign ad. Um, from Governor Sununu, it's been mostly boosterish talk of his stewardship of the economy and you know, the kind of raising the specter of what putting a Democrat in the corner office would do in his estimation, you know, on a fiscal management front. Um, you know, you mentioned that Sherman is a third straight Democratic nominee looking to move to the governor's office from the state Senate. Uh, you know, it ought to be said that this race really hasn't been grounded in state house debates in as granular a way as the last gubernatorial race when Dan Feltas took on Sununu. That's probably good for Democrats. I mean, that was a route of Sununu won two to one. Mm-hmm. Um you know, but with abortion, uh, the limit at the state level on the Dobbs ruling uh, and Sherman's credentials as a doctor, uh, he was a gastroenterologist for, for several decades. Um, he has kind of a coherent message on a high profile issue that Democrats believe are motivating voters. Uh, we'll see. Um, you know, Sherman's not been the most high profile center. I took a look at his legislative record this week. I mean, it's certainly solid on issues around health care, mental health. He played a role in Medicaid expansion, you know, bills about PFAS, uh, setting limits on water. Um, is he bringing those up? He, uh, well, that that has not come up. And, you know, that, that may not be, you know, that may be wise. I mean, you know, the, um, you know, governor's races rarely boil down to, you know, statehouse minutia. And, um, you know, running running for a fourth term, Sununu, there ha- hasn't really been done. I mean, John Lynch got elected to four terms. But, uh, you know, it, it's going to be tough for Sherman. I mean, Sununu has a higher profile and, uh, you know, polls indicate he remains relatively popular. Right. Uh, and incumbent Senator Mackey Hassan's challenge to Don Boldick has been busy reaching out to voters this week. I know, Josh, you were following him on the campaign trail. He was at a diner in Manchester and at a Veterans Hall event earlier this week. What's his message to Granite Staters? How, how does it compare to what Hassan's approach has been? Well, you know, from Don Bullock, we're hearing a lot of what we heard during the primary, which is that, you know, Bullock is stressing he's an outsider, uh, you know, unbeholden to interests in Washington, be they party bosses or lobbyists. Uh, this week was interesting because uh, Bullock had kind of gone quiet since primary um, day. I mean, he was sort of out raising money and, and, and you know, he was out of the state a little bit. Um, you know, but he was out there this week with multiple public events and was eager to engage voters 
you know, face to face. You know, the Hassan campaign is taking a pretty different approach. Uh, you know, most incumbents do. Uh, her events are, you know, very carefully managed, mostly aimed at stoking concern over Bolduc. Uh, you know, it's rational approach. I mean, Hassan's numbers are pretty soft. Uh, she's got way more campaign money, and, and she's running in a tough environment for Democrats. So if, if she can render Bolduc unpalatable on things like abortion rights, on things like entitlement programs and what might happen to them if he were elected, uh, and, you know, in Bolduc's manner, um, you know, that may be all it takes. Uh, Bolduc's shifting stances on some of these issues and, you know, a long tail of, you know, kind of remarks that you could consider sort of out there, uh, you know, give somebody like Hassan plenty to work with that, you know, maybe a more generic Republican wouldn't have provided. Yeah, but how has Baldock's message uh, been changing since the, since we've gotten into the primary? Well, I mean, he obviously, the biggest thing was he walked back um, sort of claims about sort of election denialism. He he said that after research, you know, he believes that, that, that um, Joe Biden was the legitimate winner in, in 2020. I mean, earlier this week, he did say, like, you know, I don't really know, but he, he doesn't he does acknowledge that, you know, Biden is is the duly serving president, um, you know, on abortion. He said things that were pretty staunch about his pro-life p- positions. He, you know, is has been equally staunch uh, since the, the primary is over about how he would not support federal uh, restrictions, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on Social Security, he said things like we need to, about overhauling in a sweeping manner. He says now that, that that's not really what he would do. Um, you know, he, he'll uh, he, he'll say that he's, you know, his approach is that he's got to stoke grassroots support. I mean, a question I have right. is like, can he can he reach out to middle of the road voters and like how how many women will gravitate towards supporting him? Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about local elections for a moment. Anne Marie, you reported this week that voters are reaching out to the state house clerk. They're wanting to know their representatives' attendance records. Candidates are also reaching out about their opponents, but figuring out attendance records for state lawmakers, it turns out, is not black and white, as you might think. What kinds of questions have been coming up as as you worked on that story? Um, I think the three big ones are, you know, how many session days did they attend? Um, But outside of that, there's also even more committee meetings where they're hearing from the public. They're starting to really shape legislation that will come before uh, the full House. So those are, are two. And um, why were they absent? Um, were they ill? They have a death in the family. Those are called excused absences, as are um, conflicts with work. Uh, so I think that's also important. You know, all of those are a little hard to assess. I think they're fair questions because these lawmakers are making very consequential decisions uh, for voters. Um, and I think also, how do you factor in that this is essentially a volunteer job? Mm-hmm. And 120, I think, lawmakers are under the age of 60, which we would think of as working years. So they're, a lot are balancing their work in this. I was surprised to see that 180 or so lawmakers have made every single session, which it's a long session. I don't make every session. Um, it's tough. So, And that's almost half the House. So that, that number jumped out at me. So is there is there a best method that you found that, that, to current, that we have to figure out whether our state lawmakers are, are showing up and you know, putting in the work? Um, there's a couple of ways to, to go about that. You can go on Citizens Count, which is a really helpful website in many ways. And you can look at the history of attendance uh, for people who um, on their on their session days and also roll call votes where you know issues are often not often but some big issues are decided by eight two you know votes it's very close mm-hmm. um, you don't see the committee 
um, representation there. But you also can go to the general court, the legislature's website, and look up attendance by bill number, by um, year, by lawmaker. So that's a little bit more helpful. It's hard to pull all those numbers together. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're looking just at your lawmaker, that's easier. Uh, and the other thing, what you know, I heard again and, it's, and again is you really have to ask the lawmaker why were your absences, what what drove those if you were concerned. I mean, in the last few years, we've seen COVID play a role. A citizens Count found that during that session, Democratic attendance went down um, over safety concerns, while Republican attendance went up, um, and they attributed that to you know. A, the politics of COVID. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways to look at it and, and, and suss it out, but you, you do have to look at a lot of different numbers, a lot of different places. Yes. This is Morning Edition from NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with New Hampshire Bulletin's Anne-Marie Timmons and NHPR's Josh Rogers. Uh, a Superior Court judge dismissed a case this week that was filed by a group of New Hampshire Democrats seeking to challenge new district maps for the state Senate and Executive Council. Josh, just briefly, tell us more about that argument in the lawsuit. Well, uh, the Democratic plaintiffs, who, which included uh, former House Speaker Terry Norelli, argued uh, that 16 to the 24 state Senate seats were essentially drawn to favor Republicans and that uh, that advantage could uh, supply Republicans with essentially a veto-proof supermajority. The suit also claimed that the districts drawn um, in the Executive Council districts would give a GOP advantage in you know four or five districts. It isn't clear if if you know the plaintiffs are going to appeal this ruling but their their argument is essentially these were these were too partisan in the in their nature mm-hmm. and can you give, give us a sense of, of how these new district maps that are going to going to shape the outcomes in the midterms well uh, the Senate map is is likely to confer uh, a political advantage to Republicans I mean they the Republicans did draw the maps and you know they, it probably makes it unlikely given the structural realities of these districts that Democrats, um, are going to much likely to pick up fresh seats. I mean, you know, a partisan edge was baked into the maps that currently exist, and that's certainly the case with these new maps. I mean, the same goes with the council districts. I mean, the the most uh, flagrantly kind of gerrymandered district in the in the council, uh, the the second uh, district, which is now represented by uh, Cindy Warmington, a Democrat. Her district changed a lot. I mean, it it, it had sort of snaked. Uh, Sort of east, uh, west from Concord, over over to Vermont. Um, now it sort of runs, you know, from the corner of the state uh, down in Cheshire County all the way up to the Grafton line. Um, and so it's a big district, a new district, one that still tilts pretty Democratic. I mean, the implications there are a little bit more uh, uncertain than than for the state Senate maps. Okay, and the judge saying that this is all okay, this is fine. Well, this is... I mean, the the judge uh, Jacqueline Coburn essentially said the power to draw districts. Uh, as enumerated in the state constitution, belongs to lawmakers, and that uh, political considerations in drawing maps is tolerated. That's that's well established, and I think that's that's what happened here. Let's turn to uh, another issue that uh, came from the executive council this week. Some members voting for a second time to pause funding for an after-school sexual health education program. Anne Marie, can you tell us more about this program and, and who who it serves? This program is aimed at um, at at-risk adults, uh, teenagers, sorry, um, who are at increased risk of becoming pregnant and also um, contracting sexually transmitted infections. And it's particularly targeted at teens in Manchester and Sullivan County because they have the highest teen birth rates. They're um, about three times the rate, you know, the state average, which is about five per 1,000 
um, teens. So it's really targeted at those um, two populations. And also, you know, specifically folks who are homeless, um, in foster care and, and just in vulnerable populations, victims of human tra- trafficking. And you, re- you reported that the, these three executive council members have actually previously approved this funding in years past. Why are they halting it now? Uh, I, they were asked to. I think that's the shortest answer. Um, conservative groups have really focused on this in part because this program was uh, developed by Planned Parenthood, though it's been in place a long time. It's evidence-based. It's um, age-appropriate, according to the the organizers, they're really focusing on a piece of it, which is what they think is too permissive. It it looks at, you know, the reproductive system. It doesn't say abstinence has to include other forms of intercourse, or I should say sex that won't get you pregnant. Um, so, you know, it, yeah, so it was, you know, they're, they're focused on in part that this doesn't condone, I think, um, relationships between same genders. I mean, that that is a focus. Mm-hmm. They are concerned about the exploration, exploration, exploration. Sorry, of gender identity, sexual identity. So it's a very small part of the program. The rest of it really is consent, relationships, mm-hmm. um, and boundaries. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it there. NHPR's Josh Rogers and New Hampshire Bulletin's Anne-Marie Timmons. Thank you both for joining us this morning. You can find more of their work and all of the stories we talked about this morning at nhpr.org and newhampshirebulletin.com. We're here next Friday with a new recap. I'm Rick Ganley. This is NHPR.